Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Coronavirus, everyone's concerned about it. In particular, how can we get back to business and will things ever go back to what we used to think was normal and the way that they used to be? Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to first start off with Justin Prouty. He's from Minute Medical over on Maui. And we're going to talk a little bit about how can employers take part in this whole idea of making it safe for people to come back to different establishments. And after that, we're going to be talking with Claire Santos. She has a wealth of experience working not just here locally in Hawaii with the Department of Health and the Medical Reserve Corps, but also with the COVID-19 task force and has been a CDC contractor. And we're going to talk about contact tracing. What is that? And how might that affect how we open up not only to our folks in our island, but also to folks from the mainland? So we're going to jump right in. Justin Prouty from calling in from Maui Minute Medical. You're spearheading the back to business plan. What is that? So we've... um... As we've gone through this whole ordeal, uh, we, we've stayed open the entire time, and we've been right in the middle of the, the whole pandemic and dealing with it along the way. And as businesses started to reopen, we thought, wow, we, we can add a lot of value to them because this is something they haven't been dealing with, and we've dealt with it. We've seen positive cases come through our clinic, and that was a stressful moment, the first positive case. And as businesses start to reopen and and we start to see travelers coming back and we're going to see more cases and businesses need to be prepared for that situation. And I think we're able to lend them a hand in a way that they're not, they don't have because they haven't been through it. So we offer a, uh, and actually the core of our our product is an online interactive monitoring system um, where your employees have access to a website on their phone. They go through, they look at a video that, that teaches them about uh, workplace um, safety, COVID safety, and then they take a quiz and they get through that just to, just to have a basic knowledge of how to wear a mask, those type of things. And then from there, it actually has a, a uh, symptom checker that they do on a daily basis before they go to work. Because one of the things we have to really look at is our culture has to change. Before it was, I'm, you know, I've got a sniffle, I've got a fever, whatever it is. I need to go into my job, and, and employers need to change that mindset and say, hey, these people don't need to be in the workplace, and we need to find out why they have those symptoms. So this health checker gives them that opportunity, and they're either recommended to see a provider if they don't pass the health check or they're cleared to go into work. And at that point, they could go see their provider or they could click in through a telemed visit to, to speak with one of our providers and hopefully get cleared or bring them in for testing. That's sort of the core of our program. So one of the things that I know, I mean, even I've been guilty of is, hey, I might not be 100%, but I feel well enough. I still want to go to work. And part of that is related to the fact that, you know, in the past, if you didn't have a fever, if you felt kind of okay, we sort of encouraged that. You know, I think the United States is one of the countries that has not really had the prolific sick leave that maybe we now will see start to come across. And there's also always a concern if you have a small workplace and you're one of three other people and one doesn't show up, that might add a lot of stress to your colleagues. So I know that there have been 
some concerns in the past. It seems like, you know, even when I go to work these days, there's people checking temperatures. So I work at a hospital and they're checking to make sure that you don't have a temperature with these cool little don't even touch me yet scanners (laughs) that are kind of nice. And I get my temperature checked every day. And if I were to have a fever, then I am told what to do. So you call employee health. You're not necessarily going into an area where other people might be exposed. So the whole idea from that perspective is, hey, check your temperature, make sure you're not potentially infectious, going to expose anyone else. When you're talking about doing this for other groups, this would be somebody doing a symptom checker. How do you get their temperature checked? Is that something that employers are expected to do, or how might that look like? It can it could go either way. Some some of the companies we've been working with say we want to check them as they come in. Some businesses it just doesn't. Their employees are coming in at different times, and and they've decided well it's it's better that they check their temperature and they explain to them very clearly that it's super important that they do this and and the reasons why and and um, hopefully there's some accountability on the individuals uh, their process to do so. Um, but like you said, you know, we've got to eliminate this mindset of, oh, I don't feel great. I sh- need to go to work anyway, because we have to protect our, our customers, our guests, our, our coworkers. And then there's also the employer's liability. You know, this, a, a program like this put into place covers them in a sense, because they're, they're sort of putting it out there. Hey, we need to follow these procedures. We need to do these things. And we have records to show that we've done everything we can. And, you know, there's only so much we can do as employers, but let's try to do everything that we can to make that work. Well, I know the intent is to get back to businesses, to hopefully help open stores, but do so in the safest way possible and allow people to enjoy some of the conveniences that we all used to without thinking uh, just a few short months ago. So I do see the intent is quite good. And I know that For those who have fevers, you know, one of the things that often they're told is don't go with a high fever to your provider's office without calling them first, because if there's any chance that you might have been exposed, you don't want to go to a waiting room or potentially expose other people. So some medical centers, I know uh, Queens has done this, I know HPH has done this, and I'm fairly certain Kaiser has done this, is, you know, you call and you speak to someone using telemedicine or calling your own doctor's office and have them direct you to what you're supposed to do. And from what you mentioned earlier, if you don't have a provider that the Minute Medical has a portal that you could potentially even see somebody through that and therefore have that fever or temperature or positive screen addressed. Exactly. So we instituted this, uh, it was in March, we we rolled this out where um, people would log on to our site. They would have a telemedicine visit, which we do seven days a week from eight in the morning till eight at night. So it's a pretty big window. Um, you typically, you can get an appointment on online within, you know, 15, 20 minutes. You're speaking with the provider. That provider will screen you. And if it makes sense, we will then direct you to one of our three Island locations. We're in Kahului, um, Kihei and Lahaina. And so it's super convenient all over the Island. Um, and then you'll go to that, Go to that location. They'll know you're coming, and and the provider will come out and actually swab you in your vehicle. So you're, you everyone's staying safe. They come out in full PPE, and you're not coming to the clinic, and it sort of eliminates all of that exposure risk. Um, it's worked out really well, and we've been doing it long enough that the system's just it clicks along now. And it's great. It works really well, and 
people felt it's really efficient and, and very non-invasive to their lives to be able to do it that way. Excellent. Well, I think we have to do something to make sure that everybody's safe and we've got everybody taken care of and everyone feels as though it's safe to go to businesses. So I want to thank you for sharing that project with us, Justin Prouty from Minute Medical on Maui and telling us a little bit about back to business. What could we do? What are some of the services that are available? Because as you mentioned, we want to make sure that we have an opportunity to at least make sure people are safe. If you're going into a workplace, if you're going to your job, we want to make sure that everybody is healthy themselves and also that other folks are healthy. Now, next, I want to talk with Claire Santos. Now, Claire, you've got a wealth of experience, particularly in public health, but most recently, you've been involved in the COVID-19 task force. What sort of influencer, what have you been able to do so far to help with this whole pandemic? You know, I've had the privilege, Kathy, and thank you again for having me on the show again. I've had the privilege of working in multiple areas during this response ever since February. So starting out as a CDC airport screener, and shortly thereafter, of course, our flights were shut down. Uh, most recently, I'm doing, I've done some consulting with home health uh, where we do use an app for the caregivers before they go into the home. They check in and go through the symptom checker. Uh, but prior to all of that, when they're hired, we, have, we do have them come in and actually demonstrate proper use of mask, proper hand washing. So we know when we send someone into the home, because that's our kupuna, um, they're, used, they're following the proper techniques to prevent transmission of the virus. So these are ways it, that a lot of folks may not think about. You know, you there are wrong ways to wear a mask. You know, I see people out in the community, and if they're wearing their own masks or they're wearing fabric masks, but their nose is uncovered, uh, that's that's not cutting it. That's not the whole plan. That's not the purpose, right? That's correct. So we need to make sure face-to-face with our social distancing wearing our own masks, we need to make sure they understand the principles of mask use and then they de- demonstrate to us that they know how to do that properly, when to use it, when they can take it off, et cetera. And again, with hand washing to make sure they show me they, they know the proper technique and when to use it. We now, have to protect each other. Now, the other thing you've gotten really good at is contact tracing. So that's the next step. You know, we were just speaking with someone about getting back to business. And that's one aspect of trying to make sure that it's safe for people to go out to restaurants again. And, you know, for those who happen to work in care homes, you know, to make sure that the kapuna are safe and to make sure the whole environment and the community is safe. But what if there is transmission? So that might lend itself to a discussion about finding out how someone has gotten exposed. And there's a lot of fears about that. But you've recently completed some training on contact tracing. What is that, and why is it so important that we do it? You know, along the course of wanting to know more as we go, because we were in such an unknown territory with this pandemic, I did take training from the World Health Organization, the CDC, Johns Hopkins, and most recently I took the contact tracer course through UH and Department of Health. So I was in the original class of 54 people graduating last Friday. Contact tracing is our way to head off um, 
an outbreak or head off the viral transmission at all. Um, for a little better description, if one person is tested positive for the virus, that person can spread it to two or three other people. Each of those people will spread it to two or three more people. So you can see how quickly the virus can spread if we don't catch it early. So once we identify that person, the person tests positive at their doctor's office or through a screening somewhere, um, we talk with them and find out where they've been, who they've been in close contact with from two days before they ever showed symptoms. And that's when we start to call those what we call contacts to see how they're feeling, if they're having any symptoms, to advise them that they may have been exposed to this person and what to look for. And then we'll call them every day to check on them, we'll have them check their temperature twice a day. Um, but for, for about 14 days, we're going to be really good friends <laughs> because we're going to be watching to see if they have symptoms. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk some more with Claire Santos about the process of identifying someone who's been exposed and what that two-day window might look like for people who might be in high-volume areas and what kind of notification takes place and how many contact tracers we might just need if we start to open up the economy some more. We will be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Claire Santos on the line. Claire, you've recently completed and was one of the members of the first graduating class of the Department of Health's contact tracing program, but you've also been training through John Hopkins' course and the CDC and the WHO. And right before the break, we were talking about, you know, if somebody has a positive, you might ask them where they've been around or who they've been around for the last two days. What's the significance of the two days? We consider, in this amount of time CDC, et cetera, have had to study this virus, we consider the person was contagious likely two days before they showed symptoms. So we go back two days because that's a contagious period. Um, two days before their headache, two days before their fever, two days before their cough, whatever symptom alerted them to see a physician or call in. Um, we go back two days from there to, to find out, uh, to start their contact tracing process to see where they've been. It kind of makes me, me wonder, you know, I saw a patient just this past weekend and he was going to Alaska where he goes every summer. And he said that one of the requirements was to do a test and have it be negative prior to going. And it had to be within 72 hours. So that's three days. So what it makes me wonder, although I think in Alaska, you'd have to do a repeat test when you were there. How do we handle the, I did it 72 hours ago, but maybe it potentially, I could have gotten it since then. It kind of makes me wonder how we're going to handle it when we do start to open up our tourism industry a bit more. Were there any thoughts on that in some of the training that you've done? There are lots of thoughts on, on uh, the nasal testing, the nasal swab testing, as well as the blood testing. When you're testing for antibodies, it's that moment in time, and 
that's not the information you need to go back to work because the person may not have built antibodies yet. Um, with the nasal pharyngeal testing, the swab test that everyone loves so much, the Q-tip in the nose. No one loves that test when it's done right. <laughs> no one. The, the tickle your brain test. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> uh Keeping in mind the person may still not have enough of the disease in them to show up. You know, there's an incubation period for this virus, and it may not show up on that first test, which may or may not have been what happened at the recent care home setting where the person had tested negative and then developed symptoms and was hospitalized um, and now testing positive. So the virus just hadn't incubated enough to give a positive test. So well, and we've heard that we from have, we, yeah from cases on the mainland where people are testing negative, and then maybe bronchial washings are positive. I think that happened in a case in New York. So there are some precedents that have been set that sometimes even the nasopharyngeal swab may not show the actual positive results, although it's it's fairly good when the virus is there, it'll find it. But if there isn't a quantity enough that maybe we might see some what are called false negatives. And that's something that does happen. We've been so fortunate in Hawaii that our people here, we're the reason the virus hasn't spread. It's been the the citizens, residents of Hawaii who've prevented the spread um, by so graciously following the protocols that CDC and DOH have put forth for no other reason. Um, because people paid attention to wearing a mask and staying away from each other. And that's kind of starting to unravel now, which makes me a little bit nervous. But how long can you live under this kind of stress and job loss and fear of a fatal virus? It it gets very draining. So we need to reinforce to people that we need to help continue to help protect each other and protect our kupuna and our vulnerable populations, people with, you know, health chronic health problems like diabetes and heart disease and and such. The rest of us need to keep following the protocols. And uh, I can't stress that enough, how the greater good is your discomfort wearing a mask today can save two or three lives tomorrow. When you think of the idea of communicating to the folks, so if you have a positive case, and you go back two days and you talk to those folks and you tell them they've been exposed, at what point should those folks self-quarantine? You mentioned that everyone's supposed to be checking their temperature twice a day and and keeping away from other folks. What are the recommendations? If you started contact tracing, if, if somebody got diagnosed and all those people from two days previously, hopefully there's not a lot, that they were in contact with, they were all notified. What happens after that? Are those folks told to stay home in quarantine? Does everybody around them get tested? Do you wait until someone develops symptoms? What's the next step? There's a very specific process, and, and I'll say having, having taken four different contact tracing course, the one put out by UHDOH is just the best of all. It was excellent. And there is a very specific process. So a professional case investigator will initiate whether or not contact tracing will follow. So that investigator is notified of a positive result from the lab. He will contact, he or she, pardon, will contact 
that person who tested positive and get the whole history of contacts. Were you at a party, a baby luau, a wedding? Were you out demonstrating and shoulder to shoulder with people? There's a lot to evaluate before that investigator decides a contact tracer needs to come in and start looking at contacting all the people who've been in that close contact with the positive case. So um, not everybody. I mean, if you had casual contact with somebody for less than two minutes and it was within six feet of distance, that may not result in a huge situation where somebody who's been exposed to another person has to be really quarantined at home for 14 days. So so it sounds like there's going to be somebody with enough medical knowledge to be able to investigate the situation, take a look and see what that level of contact has been, and then help make the decision as to whether or not you need to have that tracer involved. And that's correct. Um, there are circumstances. Were you outdoor? Did you just pass the person on the street? As of last Friday, we were going with less than six feet away for 10 minutes or more. That's going to be a close contact. So that so could be were... some of the parties people are having, or even if they're having gatherings in their, you know, in their backyard celebrating graduation or upcoming, you know, in the next week or two celebrating 4th of July. So, you know, if there are some celebrations and everybody's not keeping the social distance, but they're small groups, that's still... More than 10 minutes, less than six feet, even if you're wearing a mask, that's still a problem. So we are continuing to encourage people, do the six feet distance, have your mask on, make sure it's a well-fitting mask. Everyone kind of got onto the bandwagon of making masks, and I watch on TV, even some newscasters, the mask is completely open on top, and it's bouncing up and down as they speak, so I know they're they may be um, protecting others by not by having their mouth covered, but their own nose is no longer protected. And if somebody else sneezes or coughs, that's coming right through. So, pay attention to how your how well your mask fits. And hey, you know this is our new normal. A lot of people are now use, making a fashion statement with their masks and matching them to their outfits. Go with it. We you know we need you to. I don't want to say be compliant. We need you to participate in keeping everyone here healthy. So keep your six feet of distance, wear your mask, wash your hands so often, so often. And if you cannot, again, use the hand sanitizer. I know everyone has heard this a million times over. Um, but now that we're reopening the state and, and reopening businesses, and then we're going to be looking at um, trans-Pacific travel and um, international travel, we need to have our ducks in a row. We need to create a habit of doing these things to keep ourselves and our families safe because that if you're not doing those things, say you go to the bank or something, well, maybe that teller has diabetes. Is it really worth it for you to not wear your mask or wash your hands and potentially contaminate a person who may not survive? You know, we all need to think of the greater good and helping each other out and protecting each other. Now, were there any thoughts from the Department of Health about the release of the inner island quarantine? That's coming up uh, 
pretty soon, I think like tomorrow. And so I know that there is a symptom checker paper that people, if they are going to travel in our island, can, they need to bring, they need to fill out. What sort of screening do you know of that they might be doing at the airports? We've already got the National Guard in place doing temperature checks, and there is a form online. uh, I guess it's at the DOT or it's available at whatever airline you're traveling on. You can fill out your your form before your flight. So you can fill it out at home and take it with you to the airport. It's going to ask you your symptoms, your fever, your cough, your difficulty breathing, the three main symptoms. We know now there are other symptoms and there are asymptomatic people, but we've got to make this much effort to detect anyone before they get on the plane and transmit it to anywhere, anyone else. Well, and that's really the key is if you do have fever, cough, or difficulty breathing, don't be traveling. This is not the time because there is that concern that if it could be related to coronavirus and then then we are increasing exposure to to our neighbor islands and also, you know, back here on Oahu. So we'll probably see mathematically if we look at the two days before developing symptoms, you know, we'll probably see if there's been a lot of people who might have been exposed and diagnosed after we do the release of the inter-island quarantine. Within the next seven to 10 days or so, I would think, by the time they become symptomatic and or get tested, So this is probably a good time to think about what traveling people need to do. And if they do travel, take a look and see if some of the statistics show an increase in the bump in the number of cases. One of the things that I think some people forget, Claire, and please remind us is the original intent of the whole idea of the stay at home is to not overwhelm the healthcare systems with a lot of people getting exposed, a lot of people needing resources, whether they be in the hospital, in an ICU, or in some other capacity. We've, we've had a lot of time now, and a lot of the medical centers have a lot of resources they've been able to acquire. So it sounds like we should hopefully be okay from that standpoint if we do see a higher number of cases, would you think? That's the plan. That's that's the hope and the plan that we're ready should something like that happen. Um, but more importantly, we're still asking Kupuna to not travel. Um, be careful. I know some people have gone out to restaurants and discovered masses of people. Um, social distancing is non-existent. And they, they left the restaurant quickly because had their elder elderly dad with them. So we need to keep looking at the sensibility of travel and, and risk your own risk assessment. You know, what, what are the chances this might get to you or to your dad or, or to your sick auntie? Um, we all need to keep all of those things in mind that um, anything we do can affect two or three other people and not in a good way. And if you were to identify a case as a contact tracer that you would have to follow, you mentioned that somebody would have to have symptoms checked periodically and you would be talking to those folks on a fairly regular basis. You mentioned you'd become good friends. Is that how we're going to be following folks? Is if we do find that there's an exposure to be concerned about, we're doing telephone following? Is there any other thought of doing anything else or is that pretty much seen to be the plan for now? The plan for now is to, to make that daily phone call. So I want people to 
to be comfortable about that. We're going to introduce ourselves appropriately. We are not going to ask you for secret information like your social security number or your credit card number, anything like this. If you do feel uncomfortable, we will, we will instruct you how to confirm with the Department of Health that it's a legitimate call. Um, no one has turned you in. There's nothing to be angry or frightened about. We're, this call is to protect your health and the health of everyone around you. So we will be calling you once a day for 14 days, hopefully the same person, so you have a rapport. We'll go over the symptoms because you're going to be on quarantine. You're going to need to stay home. And, you know, if you've got tight living arrangements, um, we'll do All right. Well, let's hope that... We don't have to worry too much. I want to thank Claire Santos for coming on and sharing her expertise and also Justin Prouty from Minute Medical. That's all the time we have today, but we are going to pick up this discussion again next week talking about some of the psychological impacts of what's going on with the pandemic. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you right here next week as we continue this conversation. (laughs) 